Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey, broadcasting in central Nebraska. I am here at the Crane Trust with the director, Bryce. Bryce, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be on here. Okay, so a lot of people are confused because I posted on social media. I was like, I'm going somewhere because I haven't been somewhere for quite a while. And uh, I was like, I'm, I'm going somewhere to witness one of the greatest animal migrations. And no one could guess where I was going. We are actually in south central Nebraska, right along the braided channels of the Platte River. Okay, and we're witnessing the Sandhill Crane Migration. Absolutely. It's been coming for millions of years, and I'm glad you're here to witness it in person. Why have we never heard of it? I feel like, and Jane Goodall, by the way, who has been at the Crane Trust, which is awesome. Jane Goodall said this is one of nature's, I think she said it was nature's second greatest migration. Yes, correct. She compares it to the wildebeest migration in Africa, and, and really she feels immersed and loves it every time she comes here. I can't even believe it, and I am so embarrassed to say this, but I've like driven through Nebraska so many times, and I never, ever knew that this was like, it was like, what, the crane capital of the world? Yes, you know, we're just a mile and a half south of Interstate 80, which goes right through south central Nebraska, all the way through the state, and uh, we're just sitting here in the, uh, the uh, wet meadows along the Platte River. Sure. So uh, a sandhill crane, From so, for someone listening who has no idea what a sandhill crane looks like, can we describe like how tall they are, what they look like? Yeah, the sandhill crane has a red crown cap on it. It's okay. gray overall and body. Uh, height is about three to five foot tall with a wingspan right about that same length. Wow. And they're pretty big birds too, flying, you know? Yeah, they weigh anywhere from six to 14 pounds. Okay. And uh, are beautiful, elegant flyers. They really are. And there's a difference between cranes and herons. Can we clear that up for the folks? Because we, I mean, you know, my wife was like, wait, are they the same thing? And I was like, well, they're not the same thing. So can we talk about that? You know, they're uh, different species. And uh, really, um, the uh, herons have different migratory paths, although we utilize the same area. Mm -hmm. um, they, yep, structurally different, right? Yeah, yeah. And also, the herons are the ones that have the S-shaped neck, correct? Like, if they're going in, like, their necks are more curved, correct? Yes, correct. Okay, yep. okay. And the cranes have more of, like, a straight neck when they fly? They do. They, yep, they actually, yep. That's, you, you know this stuff. I, well, I had to do a little, I had to do a little research. I was going to the crane trust. So, I have a question. First of all, how many cranes, sandhill cranes, fly to Nebraska? You guys just did a count, so how many? So there's about 1.25 million sandhill cranes that come through the central flyway, the mid-continental population. So we get about 80% of uh, the world's sandhill crane populations right here where you're standing today. 1.2 million. Yes, correct. And can you talk about the central flyway for someone who is like, what is he talking about? So the uh, central flyway, of course, is, opens up um, from South America, the southern United States, if you will, and forms an hourglass or a pinch okay. point in central Nebraska and then okay. widens, broadens back out uh -huh. and goes up to Siberia to the west, if you will, and Hudson Bay to the east, per se. It really opens up, but everything comes down through a short bottleneck. Some people call it a pinch point. Okay. So while Spain across the uh, north and south through the continents, okay. it, uh, it really narrows down to about an 80-mile stretch in the Platte River area, 
uh, where we're at today. Okay, and so they are coming from where? The Sandhill Cranes are coming so, from A lot of the Sandhill Cranes are coming from northern Mexico, okay. uh, parts of New Mexico, Texas, and the Oklahoma Panhandle is where they winter at. Okay, and that's because obviously it's warmer down there. Yes. Okay. Yep. And then, uh, then also as they go to their uh, summer range, if they where will they breed? Um, that's anywhere from Siberia, uh, four to five thousand miles journey wow. later, and then as far east as Hudson Bay area. Okay, so why Canada? <laughs> okay, okay. Man, they, it's such a long journey, and the longest they say for any crane species. Why Nebraska? This is a million dollar question. Like, okay, you have all these cranes here. Why do they come to South Central Nebraska? Well, they've been coming for millions of years. We have fossilized records in Nebraska spanning the Pliocene era, um, which is fantastic, but it's, it's really the same structure, bone structure of what we see today. Okay. Why do they come here? Um, it's really focused on the prairie. Historically, before man arrived here, there was a, you know the series of wetlands that come through, and the Platte River was much wider than you see today. Today, it's about a quarter mile wide uh-huh. on some of our wider spots, what used to be outwards of two miles wide. Mm-hmm. And they can't they come here and they meet, they congregate. The only place in the um, world that they congregate at the numbers you see, wow. and to. Uh, Roost in, they settle into the Platte River at night. So at night they come in and they'll set in the braided channel. So they like bare sandbars to about six inches deep in water. Only six inches. That blew my mind. Because I live, I have the Snake River in my backyard. That's deep, man. That's, yeah, that's deep. So only six inches. So yeah, that's what, that's a preferred habitat. So they really like wide, um, unobstructed views and shallow, always ever-changing islands without uh, vegetation on them. It's interesting because when you think of birds roosting, you think of birds roosting in trees. That's, yeah. The majority of uh, raptors and stuff go to straight to the trees, but the uh, sandhill cranes like the braided openness, you know, wet meadows, and bare sandbars. Bare sandbars. Okay, so they come here because the Platte River is shallow, and it's like they're able to roost. It's their preferred habitat. And why else do they come here? The adjacent wet meadows is a key driver to uh, why they stay here. So they feed on macroinvertebrates. Okay. Uh, earthworms being their favorite. <laughs> really? I didn't favorite know that. snack. So yes, oh. we have the uh, full moon coming up here this upcoming weekend. And they call it, it's referred to as the worm moon. Really? Because all the so, worms come up? Yep. Yep. So as the ground, uh, frost comes out of the ground and moisture comes up, the earthworms come to the top and they sit out there and gorge themselves under the moonlight. Oh my gosh. Now, don't they also eat the, which is a term, I guess, I, I guess I didn't really, wasn't familiar with, but waste corn. They also eat, they love the Nebraska cornfields. Yes. Yes. The uh, Nebraska farmers have helped them out dramatically over the years. Yeah, so yeah. as agriculture increased and there's a lot more waste grain, mm-hmm. even though there's high efficiency machine today, there still is waste grain throughout the the uh, cornfields and they specifically focus on corn so that really does bring a lot of fattens them up while they're here they gain nearly 20 percent of their body weight between eating getting a lot of the protein from the macroinvertebrates and the fat from the uh, starch from the corn and that really fuels them up for their flight ahead and really helps out with uh, body health and egg productivity as they go further to the breeding grounds wow okay so for those listening they come to nebraska because of the shallow river perfect habitat the wetlands and then the excellent food i mean you guys have pretty good corn i had corn chowder by the way for my first time ever it was good 
Absolutely. It was good. And it was funny because our waitress was like, do you guys, and she was like, you can go over to the soup bar, which was amazing that we could walk into a restaurant and go to a soup bar. So I was like, wow, this is awesome. I'm really in Nebraska. And we go in there and I was like, wait, did you say clam chowder? She's like, no, honey, you're in Nebraska. Corn chowder. And I was like, yes, I loved it. A little authentic food. That's good. You get some homegrown Feeling it was so good. Absolutely. The people have been nice. So, yeah. So, okay. So they eat the corn. This is, I, I it's interesting because um, that it is one of the greatest wildlife spectacles on the planet. And it happens right here in the middle of the United States. It blows my mind. Yes. It's really anywhere from, if you will, uh, tax day or uh, uh, Valentine's Day to tax day is when the cranes are in the area. Valentine's so, Day to tax day. Yep. So wow. middle of February to the middle of April, uh-huh. um, the great migration occurs. And it's followed by many other species that come through. There's hundreds of species that come through, but it's the sheer significance of the sandhill cranes. And they're nice enough to stay um, for, you know, each uh, the different flights that come into the different cranes. They don't all come at once, uh-huh. but they stay from anywhere around two and a half to three and a half weeks um, wow. while they're here to go through this series. And those three and four year old birds are looking for a mate. So they oh. most typically uh, mate forever, but uh, those juvenile birds are looking to find find a uh, um, a partner sure so there's a lot there's a lot of behaviors that go on a lot of a lot of fun to sit along the banks of the river and and look at all the action that they're doing between all the calls and uh, small family groups talking back and forth or the others showing off those juveniles you know Mm. it's kind of like a it is it really has been referred to as a big rock concert versus just a symphony so 100 percent like because and i so basically you i mean what you do is you go out to these blinds at night and in the morning as well and uh Dude, it sounds like a stadium full of people at a football game. It's weird. Like, as you hear it kind of round, you know what I mean? It's just all these yeah. different calls, and it's something I've never experienced before. Um, it's just amazing. That vibrate. It really does vibrate your soul when you're sure. sitting there. It just goes right through you, and it, it just lets you have, you know, you have that piece of tranquility, but then you have the sheer stadium sound that it's yeah. just brings so many emotions to the table when you're sitting there. Yeah, and that's why... I, I hate referring it to as like a football stadium full of people because it's like <laughs> I want to be away from people and I'm trying to enjoy nature, but it remind that's that's how loud it is. It really is. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just quite incredible. And um, so let's talk about if someone's interested in visiting um, the Crane Trust or the Cranes. Let's talk about it. Like, what is that experience like? Thankfully, you guys hooked me up. I mean, I'm, my God, I, I really don't want to leave to be honest with you. But, uh, well, yeah. we welcome visitors all over the world, except for the COVID years, of course. So oh, hopefully yeah. we're uh, getting out of that. But we do have we have a public opportunity that we have a nature and visitor center located right off the interstate 80 at the Alta exit 305 in South Central Nebraska. Wow! And and there we have um, a lot of educational uh, products there, and we have a gift shop. But you come in and learn about the Crane Trust, and then we also have. A, uh, a VIP scenario. So we have down in our headquarters, we have uh, cottages that you're welcome to come in and you can spend the night. So you can crack your window and hear the cranes all night, but it really is a, is a point of immersion. So you get to spend the night and, and learn more about the trust and you're able to mm-hmm. talk to some staff and the biologist here and, and mm-hmm. take something away from it. Plus it's a nice little walk out to the blind or a short ride. Yeah. Yeah, I we loved it. I didn't know what to expect. When they said you're staying at the Crane Trust, I was like, this is great. And then it was like dinner at the Crane Trust, and then you're going to stay at these cottages. And I we, we have, my wife and I, we have really enjoyed our stay here. It's like, I feel like it's a big family unit. Is that how you feel at the Crane Trust? We do. We, we do. We love to, uh, 
really love to showcase what we do. We work all year long and really hard on protecting the resource. So this is, you know, the two to three percent, however you want to argue that, what's left of the lowland tall grass prairie. That's it. This riverine three, system. Two to three percent. Yeah. So when we get people here, we like to tell them the work we do outside the year and then highlight it by the crane migration and the sheer spectacle of what everybody sees, as you saw um, last night and both this morning. But it, it really is. A, it's that um, small, tight family atmosphere we like to portray with everybody else and it's it's just all in our blood it's not a it's not a show i guess it's are not a sure because so. you guys are good actors if it is it's amazing though you walk in everyone's friendly we had like the best dinner we had my favorite foods last night lasagna butter and rolls i mean my god you had me there dessert <laughs> no i loved it and obviously we're here for the wildlife not the dessert and the awesome food but it was such a great atmosphere Let's talk about what the Crane Trust does because, you know, you just mentioned there's only, I mean, you said 2 to 3% left of like what used to be this great ecosystem and now it's just like, I mean, what, what happened? What's yeah, going you, on? You know, over the course of time, the Platte River has over 20 dams on it now where, you know, it's all historical references. So as you come, um, it's an appropriated or over-appropriated river mm-hmm. and all those uses, um, whether they be environmental or agricultural, everybody has a hand in it. Municipalities, mm-hmm. um, really everybody wants the water to survive and we still want nature to survive. So we really are protecting the ecological and hydrological uh, functionalities and integrity of the Platte River, you know, into perpetuity. This is where we're at today. And, and I always say, no matter what you believe in, um, this is what it's like today. And it's, you know, it's been here for eons and we want it to continue for uh, eons. Yes. And last night, and I love this, how you have this all set up, by the way, uh, if, when you, if you're listening to this and you're so into this, I'll put the information in the show notes on how people can contact the Crane Trust to do this because I feel like you have to do it. I, I really do. In the evening time, after we ended our um, our evening, you know, viewing of the cranes, which was, uh, side note, Nebraska sunsets are phenomenal, man. Like, Absolutely, there's there's a whole palette of colors here: the hues from the white flat rivers to the uh, orange, the golden light of the sky. I mean, it is yeah. magnificent. Um, sunrises and sunsets over the Platte River. It's a spectacle in itself. It is. And I'm from Idaho. We're known to have pretty good sunsets. But we were watching last night. I'm like, man, I don't know. It's, this is pretty comparable. It was, I don't, and you guys have the cranes. I mean, the, the, the majority of the cranes here. So it was beautiful. I mean, it was, yeah, purple, uh, orange, blue. It just, oh my God. The oh, skies, were, skies were great. It's a highlight. You know, it's fun to have people from all over the world come. And even the locals, we sit here and, you know, there'll be a tear coming out of an eye. And yeah. just, you know, you see that wonderful experience and, and people have so many ways to explain it. It's 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 fun to be part of. And, it, you know, it's something yeah. to be proud to be part of. And the Crane Trust has been, was created in 1978 and uh-huh. incorporated in 81. And, and really, that's what we're focused on, the protection for the Sandhill Crane, Whooping Crane, and all migratory birds through the Central Flyway. Wow. Yeah. So. Uh, oh, so anyway, so what I was saying is, uh, so after our, our evening viewing of that magnificent sunset, we had dessert, which was awesome, brownies, ice cream, and cheesecake. But we you played a clip from such a great documentary called The Nature Makers, and there's a portion where you guys... We're in. Can we talk about that documentary? Because it was just blew my mind. It was phenomenal. Yes, uh, Scott Saunders is a filmmaker from Los Angeles, and he uh, looked us up. He was searching somewhere, working on a story, and he saw a uh, an article about using heavy equipment to go inside the Platte River and tear up, churn up the soil, the mm-hmm. sand, mm-hmm. the braided islands. And he thought, "Wow, that looks like they're." 
destruction, destruction, uh-huh. destruction, you know, and, and all unfold, he called and we started talking and he learned more about one of the many tools we use to mimic what nature used to do, the scouring of the frost and freeze high water cycles that used to come through uh-huh. um, to putting fire on the landscape and he, and he wanted to document it. So he did uh, over the course of a couple years came out and like many people, I, he fell in love with the Crane Trust and and Greater Nebraska, just the uh, everything, the people, the landscape, prairie, what's left. And he wanted to uh, help us protect this, help us showcase what we have and what we do for others to see. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because there's a picture of you and this giant bulldozer like taking out trees. And that seems like the opposite of, <laughs> of like habitat, you know, conservation. Can we, why are you taking out the trees? So it was, it was a prairie river. Okay. It was, uh, you know, if there was trees, it was savanna at best, if you will. So okay. Okay. The, the braided channels of the Platte River, the islands need to be um, free of vegetation. So early successional vegetation is fine because the uh, water hydraulic cycles would take care of that. But mm-hmm. as as they dinned and islands grew, the, you know, uh, shrubbery turns into trees, trees grow large, and that creates um, permanent islands instead of ever-changing islands. Okay. So then the river gets narrower, channelizes, gets deeper. Oh, and that's why the cranes don't like it. And then the cranes won't utilize that place. So if you look, a lot of the conservation protected lands today or that uh, get a lot of the uh, um, efforts as far as a conservation perspective are are treeless, if you will, uh-huh. or devoid of trees and, and the wider channels, which as we do our flights and our counts, we really can showcase the crane use. Okay, so cranes don't like the trees because they like to be able to look out, correct, for, yes. for predators like coyotes, foxes, all that type of stuff. And also because the trees would make it more narrow and make the river deeper, and that's not preferred crane habitat. That's not where they want to roost. Correct. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's that's it. Okay. So you just said something when you count the cranes. How do you count 1.2 million birds? Bryce, come on. How do you do that? It, it makes a busy day out of it. So I was, yeah, yeah. So in the Central Platte River Valley where we do our counts, we have two biologists and a pilot in a plane and they're flying transects. Those transects are 11 bridge segments. So a, a bridge segment is where a bridge goes north and south over the river that goes uh-huh. east and west. And we'll go up in an airplane and you'll You've studied this beforehand, but you have a best guess when you look out the window and you write down the number you see, so of a roost size in the banks of the river. Okay. So this takes place in the morning. So right at civil twilight, the plane's up in the air and Uh you fly that 80 mile stretch and it's about 65 miles that we fly. Uh And then uh, you document GPS and you take a photo. Um, So you capture what you, some of the roost, and then you fly that transect, come back put all that information on the computer, and then you sit there and no. photo correct um, those certain subplots within the bridge segments to get your error factor. You So each one? So you'll take subplots of each one of those and then uh, run your analysis and it'll come out with that A number with a correction factor, you know, so our latest count was 570,000 with a plus or minus of 150,000 cranes. So a lot of times the uh, that was a little higher for our air factor um, per se, but it's usually a lot lower than that. But we had some high water and some cranes weren't cooperating. So they're using the wet meadows and we uh, stick to the center of the channel and, and we can look outwards three kilometers um, to uh, count. But we stick down the channel and drive 
or fly uh, through that segment. Wow, and it's so weird because the, the, the crane poppy, it, it's so weird to say this in this day and age because most species are endangered or threatened and these guys are, they're stable and their population's growing, right? Yes, you're correct. Um, okay. they, they, they are one of the few really um, cranes, if you will, out of the 15 species of cranes, we have the, the largest population, sandhill crane, and, and their numbers are doing good. But while I say that, the whooping crane that comes through um, the same flyway, there's a, it's, a, it's the most endangered species of crane. So while we got the highest number, we also got the most endangered. And you can't use sandhill cranes for surrogates for whooping crane studies, but it has been tried. But it's always a special day when you see a whooping crane on your, uh, you know, on the landscape that you've worked hard to preserve. Whooping cranes. So let's talk about, so the sandhill cranes, they're gray, smaller, and the whooping cranes are white and a little bit bigger? Yes. So whooping cranes can, can stand anywhere from six to seven feet. Seven feet? And have, a, you know, Holy nearly a seven foot No. That's wingspan. a big bird. That is a big bird. And they are uh, snow white with black tipped on their oh feathers. The primaries are black. Just a beautiful bird. Have the red crown cap on them. Wow. And uh, so they're a head taller, well, a neck and a head taller when you see them in the river. Wow. And they they get along well with the sandhill cranes. They cohabitate together. They are more solitary birds, but once in a while, these juvenile whoopers will be with a group of sandhill cranes. We've been noticing that over the last um, several years that there'll be mm -hmm. uh, possibly a, a whooping crane mixed in with sandhill cranes. But more than not, they usually come in their own family groups as they migrate from Aransas, so the Gulf Coast of Texas, Aransas National Wildlife Refuge up to uh, Buffalo Park, Canada. Wow. And you only have five, a little over 500 individuals left in the wild. Yes. Damn, yeah. that's not that many, man. That is not that many. And there's only another 327, 320 in captivity. So, you know, you're looking at 827. That's it. Left. Yep. Under 1,000 birds left in, in the world. Yes. For the species. Yep. Okay, why? Why are the sandhill cranes doing so great? Populations just exploding, and why are the whooping cranes just not? You know, what's what's going on? Uh, a loss of habitat for the whooping cranes where they where they use, and their numbers have never been the you know exponentially the same as sandhill cranes. Historically, there's a you know nearly two hundred fifty thousand sandhill cranes mm -hmm. uh, going through the central flyway, and the whooping cranes were hunted and loss of habitat down to 17 birds in the 17. you know in the early 1900s and have now gained with a lot of the help of conservation um, conservation minded folks in the international crown international crane foundation george archibald which is arriving here later today oh, okay. um, to uh, visit and and look over the platte river so he's really excited to be here but their efforts are really the ones that help um, make magic with the whooping cranes the whooping cranes okay and so. it's they're so rare we were looking at the brochure and it was like if you see a whooping crane call this number and uh, do you ever get people who i'm sure i'm sure mistake the whooping cranes for the sandhill cranes right uh yes we we do get that or with a snow goose or with a pelican oh, or another yep, yep. bird so it's um as we always like people to call we always tell them to stay you know half a mile away at a, at a minimum okay. uh, from them but please call and then we'll have uh, a biologists go out and confirm the sighting wow. and then we also take some behavioral observations wow. at that time so. and it's interesting they're more solitary that's yes. really okay yeah. That, yeah so they so they do the they, they do the flight alone you said sometimes the juveniles will be together but they do this giant migration alone yeah yep so. it's usually on the heels of the sandhill crane migration so historically a lot of the whooping cranes have started you know they arrived at late march mm -hmm. and come through april and may uh-huh is their key um 
migration time versus the sandhill crane usually uh-huh. comes a you know a few weeks earlier okay okay all right i have to ask you because i've been on social media which has been so much fun i went live on my tiktok and uh People started saying a term, ribeye in the sky. And I'm like, what are they talking about? What is that? So, you know, Nebraska is one of the few states and one of the only states in the, uh, in the central flyway that doesn't allow hunting of the sandhill cranes. So the other states, there is a hunting uh, program for those. And I believe that's probably what they're referencing. Why would someone want to kill a crane? You know, that has been asked many times from many different angles, and um, I can't confirm why. Yeah, so we were driving here, because we had to fly into Omaha, and then drive, you know, because, anyway, um, to, to get you to get to the facility. And I tried to find Sandhill Crane podcasts, and the only ones I could find were hunting podcasts. And I'm just like, what? I just, I don't, I guess I don't, there's, I, I don't know, I, I, I don't understand it. Uh, and I guess ribeye in the sky, apparently they taste great. What were you going to say? Yeah, you know, and we always worry about the, the whooping cranes that are mixed in with the That's what I'm cranes. That's and, and the hunting has been detrimental to the whooping crane population, so we're always a little little scared when we hear a lot of the hunting. That's a huge problem. I mean, right? Because I feel like someone who just is out there to shoot cranes, how would they know the difference? Yeah, hunter education is... is um, great and it's a necessity at the same time so while you're taking up that sporting activity you really need to know uh, what you're doing and why you're doing it and and do it all in good faith but know your you know know your birds become a birder Um, become a naturalist so you you do know the difference between uh, sandhill cranes whooping cranes or you know even your duck species yeah i don't think people should be shooting cranes i know there's a lot of them but what something that broke my heart is like watching this documentary the nature makers is that they were saying that, I mean, these cranes mate for life. They will mourn the death of their mate. They just messes with their whole family unit. It's not like this one and done, you shoot one, and then it's just, it really, it's a trickle-down effect, and it just is heartbreaking. Yeah, Paul Johnsgard is an ornithologist and um, a crane expert mm-hmm. and was from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Is mm-hmm. um, and has some great material on that uh-huh. and, and really did showcase uh, the true family bonding and family atmosphere that goes on uh, mm. through this migration. So. Yeah. Do you agree with crane hunting or do you think it can be managed? You, you know what? I think um, it's it's a manageable approach. Yep. I think okay. everything everything overall is managed. You know, we um, obviously uh, are very happy there's no hunting going on in Nebraska. And where we have the largest roost in the world throughout our properties, throughout the conservation properties, you know, it's a special to us to have them here. And we love people from around the world to come see the cranes. And we, we don't really like uh, a bunch of gunshots and scaring them Dude, off. Dude, yeah. So. And by the way, the cranes are timid they're a lot more timid than i because i've witnessed the wildebeest migration and they're just like you're in the midst with them and they're like i mean they're not you know but the cranes they get spooked easy they they really do they they have a high awareness but it is a lot of it to do because they've been hunted on their whole migratory uh, path yeah and they don't like flashing lights and they don't like loud noises and and quick action so it's kind of a enjoy low and slow and you know you can have red lights if you do but fast action 
they uh, scare yeah. the cranes, and that could ruin your viewing pleasure. Yes, it can. Yeah, because nine months out of the year, they're hunted. That's why they're so wary. It makes sense. I mean, you cannot get that. I mean, you can get close in the blinds. You were saying they come right up, but... Yeah, you have to be really quiet, uh, definitely, to view the cranes. Well, thank you so much, Bryce. Uh, how can people find more information about the Crane Trust if they want to come witness one of the greatest wildlife spectacles on the planet? CraneTrust.org. Okay. Look us up. We're on the web, and we're always happy to answer questions uh, via email or via phone and, and uh, reach out. Perfect. Thank you so much, Bryce. I appreciate it. Thank you for letting us stay here. I hope we were good guests. Were you're we very guests? welcome. Oh, you're awesome. You're fantastic. Oh, you're lying. You no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, Samantha's I mean, a little nicer, but I mean, it was great. She's so. nicer, and she's better looking, <laughs> and she's waiting at the door now. She's like, hurry up, because we're on a tight schedule. But listen, thank you for taking your time, and thank you for just being a wildlife warrior and I just being so passionate about what you do because I mean it really shines through and it's just it's setting an example for so many people and it's really making a difference so thank you well we appreciate it we put in hard work and it's glad to go noticed um from folks like you and, yeah. and make sure you stop and say goodbye to the bison and the prairie before you leave I'm gonna go so. see Patty the bison we're gonna <laughs> try to film a tiktok video with Patty the bison so anyway Bryce thank you so much I hope to visit again Yes, thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.